Hello, everyone, um, and welcome to Dissidents and Dictators. Uh, this is the Human Rights Foundation conversation series where we expose dictators, debate pressing global human rights issues, and brainstorm how we can collectively put human rights at the top of the world's agenda. My name is Alvaro Piaggio, and I'm the Senior Policy Officer for Latin America with HRF. HRF is an international, nonpartisan, nonprofit organization dedicated to promoting and protecting human rights globally, with a focus on countries under authoritarian rule. We unite people in the common cause of promoting liberal democracy. You can visit our website, hrf.org, to learn more about the work that we do. Please also make sure you follow us on Twitter for more conversations like the one we'll be having today. Um, and I'd like to let, I would like to let everyone know that this conversation is being recorded uh, and will be released as a podcast in the near future. Well, today we'll be talking about El Salvador's authoritarian slide. After nearly two decades of democratic governments, after a brutal civil war, uh, the country's democratic institutions are once again under siege. In 2018, Nayib Bukele, the former mayor of the country's capital managed to win the presidency without the support of ARENA or the FMLN, uh, El Salvador's major political parties. His populist rhetoric and his added use of data and social media have made him a very popular figure, but he has used his popularity to consolidate power in an alarming way. Over the course of this first term, the last three years, he has abused emergency powers, assaulted the independence of the judiciary, and even paved the way for his re-election in direct violation of his country's constitution. To talk more about this, uh, we have Nelson Rauda with us today. Nelson is a Salvadorian in investigative journalist from El Faro, is Latin America's first online-only newspaper. Nelson has been covering politics, corruption, violence, migration, and human rights for quite a few years now in, El in, his, in his home country of El Salvador and uh, I couldn't think of anyone better to 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 join us and talk about this this uh, terrible issue about the situation that is going on in, in El Salvador. So, um, welcome, uh, Nelson. It's a pleasure to have you with us today. Uh, hola, Alvaro. Hello, everybody. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Thank you to HRF. I tremendously respect the work that you do uh, all over the world, and uh, happy to join this conversation. Certainly, you all be happy to. Uh, entertain questions and try to keep picture, uh, give people a, an accurate picture of what's going on here in our country. Thank you. Um, Nelson, we can hear you clearly, but you're a little low, so I'll I'm ask you to please uh, speak up as much as you can. Um, all right, sure, thank sure. you. Perfect. Yeah, that's better. Perfect. Um, good. Yeah. Um, yeah, before, before I start asking your questions, I just want to let everybody know that if you have any questions or you have any comments, uh, you can wait until the end. The last We're going to set the last 10 minutes of this hour. Um, so you can you can ha ask, ask ask Nelson any questions that you might have about the situation. There's a lot to cover, so we're going to try to, to cover as much as we can in the, these 45, 50 minutes. Um, so, um, Nelson, let me start by... Um, well, I just start by telling us a little bit about Bukele's rise to power in El Salvador. Uh, as I said before, he's he's very popular. He won the general election in 2018, but he didn't have the support of the two traditional parties from the right or the left. Um, tell us a bit, how did this happen? 
what are the main issues that were, you know, uh, Salvadorans were so worried are so worried about, uh, you know, very real and and, and impressing issues, uh, and how how Bukele sort of uh, you know took advantage of the situation to, to to you know bring himself to the presidency. Oh yeah, certainly. I mean, uh, what the 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 situation in El Salvador is, and I think the Nayib Bukele's major political success has been to capitalize on the discontent that exists. It existed and exists with uh, the president uh, of both ARENA and FMLN parties. They both parties that made huge uh, dealing with corruption, dealing with the gangs, and overall took the Salvadoran uh, population to a, a, a state of uh, desperation and, 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 and losing hope in the, in the country. So... The first thing, and the, the, I think the key of his success is to capitalize, uh, to capitalize on that discontent, on, on selling and portraying himself as to be the solution, the future uh, to this country's problems, the future to, to anything that El Salvador uh, would need to do. And um, so he's depicted as an outsider. He ran and he did, did all of his political uh, career with the FMLA, and that's how he started in politics. But then... He had a, a very public breakout with them, and then he did the campaign as if he was an outsider, even though he had been in the political party system for years. And so have many, many, many of his closest collaborators. So I think depicting him as an outsider loses perspective of that fact that he was a part of that system for many years. That, that's, that's very interesting. Um... And I know he that he he ran in 2018 on 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 a party that is he he was part like you said he was part of the FMLN, uh, the left wing party in the country. Um, he broke with them and he ran with Ghana, which was another conservative party, wasn't it? Yeah, it's a right wing party. It's uh, 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 made with uh, a division or a breakout of the Arena political party. So not really center, I would say, but. Um, uh, more right wing. Yeah, so you know, Bukele, he seems to be very uh, adept at navigating the political arena, and you know, although he, you know, framed himself as an outsider, he knew how to navigate that very well. Like you said, like he was, he was part of the system in a way, right? Yeah, and 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 also not not he he what what the rhetoric is and what his speech is that he, it's that he's opposed uh, left wing or right wing, so. You don't really have an indication, or you really didn't have an indication of uh, how the the ruling would be. And he started out saying things that a lot of people in the United States like to hear. Like he distinctively gave this speech at the Heritage Foundation, this uh, super conservative think tank, uh, talking about you know the 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 freedom of expression, democracy, rule of law, low intervention of the state in the economy, um, just for very not left-wing uh, things, but very libertarian kind of way. So, uh, and, and, and that's basically how he has ruled. I mean, I, I don't think anybody could see his ruling and say he's a left-wing or he ever was in a left-wing party. That's very interesting. Um, so let, let's just go on a little bit now uh, about, um, you know, when he first came to power, I mean, he was talking about these things that, I mean, they could be libertarian, but arguably they're not, uh, you know, Pack things, you know, respecting democracy, liberty, uh, you know, freedom of expression, etc. But there was 
another side to his rhetoric, wasn't it? Uh, from the from the beginning, and and especially you know going into 2020, um, can you tell us a little bit about that and 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 a little bit about the you know I think probably the first thing that caught international news attention uh, when we saw the the army go into the into Congress to in a way you know quote unquote motivate lawmakers into passing a law that he was pushing. Yeah, I don't know how much motivation is having uh, guns in front of your face is, but uh, the reality of the, 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 the February 9th and, and what we started seeing is an authoritarian tendency. And actually, if you pay attention, if you paid attention to his, his political career, there were always the signs of this. I remember he banished some reporters from attending his press conference while he was mayor of San Salvador. I remember he using the, the municipal police uh, in a clash with the minister, the Ministry of Culture while he was mayor of San Salvador. So maybe the overall signs were there, but certainly those pictures got out of hand for the Bukele administration. He, uh, he was using the army to pressure uh, the, the, the Legislative Assembly into, doing, uh, into passing a security loan uh, uh, which was allegedly key for, for, for his administration, for his uh, political strategy. Uh, but then that became a sign of things to come. It became a sign of, of, of the, the large use of the military in the, in the power, the, in the way that he imagined the assembly should work, like following his orders like they do now. And I, I think that's important to say. It, it, he, he, he won the election by a landslide, and he won the secondary election by a, an even wider margin. So that's why I think that's what many of the people say that when we criticize the democratic tendencies of El Salvador or the authoritarian tendencies. They say, why can you say that or how can you say that if he's won the election? But the reality is that, yeah, he won the executive branch and he can control it. And he won the, the legislative branch and... I mean, the Constitution says it should uh, it should work with the president, but it shouldn't obey its orders. But you can have that. But what they didn't want democratically and the, what they did illegally was the control of the judicial branch. This is not... Uh, so, so people can have an image. Every legislative uh, assembly has the right to uh, elect five of the 15 Supreme Court justices. The Bukele administration has elected 10. Uh, and every administration has a right to elect, elect an attorney general, but they closed the term of the attorney general that was before. Uh, I'm, I think I'm getting ahead of things. But the, the, the February 19th caught the eye of, of, of people because of that, because you don't really... Uh, Bukele in that day hinted, not very uh, soft, in not a sort of subtle way, he hinted that uh, he had the power and he could push the button if he wanted to, like... Uh, insinuating to dissolve the legislative assembly, uh, and he did. And, and what he say, why he said that he didn't, is because he heard the word of God, and that God uh, spoke to him very clearly and said to be patient. And yeah, I, I'm I'm not even exaggerating. I'm just describing how things are, and you can take away what you want of that. But uh, yeah, uh, if you need the president to hear the voice of uh, someone in the sky to tell him to respect the democracy. I, I think there's several questions that can be raised about that. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I think it's, um, even in, in other democracies where you have dangerous people, um, I think uh, we should always listen to what they say. We should take them at their word, especially when they are 
um, talking about, uh, you know, having delusions of power, like, like, like what you're saying, the Bukele had, um, and, and, and then, you know, you say we're getting ahead of yourself. And this is exactly my, my next question. Um, so we had in 2020, this, this, uh, aggressive symbolic well more, more than symbolic move of bringing the army to to, to pressure the legislature uh, and in 2021 you actually have uh, you know specific steps that were very dangerous and not you know that basically eliminate um, checks and balances for the executive and basically make the judiciary just an extension of Bukele's whims and his party and then and his whims. Um, so tell us how this started in 2021. Um, I believe the first one was, like you mentioned, the uh, cutting short the term of the attorney general. Um, tell us what happened then and, 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 and you know, the, the series of events that, that came after that related to Bukele's, you know, clear assault on, on the independence of the judiciary. Yeah, so... Uh... In the first years, the, the, the first maybe 18 months of his term, he did what most uh, presidents do, which is focusing on the on the midterm elections and the 2021 elections. Uh, and he was saying that the assembly was an obstacle for him to rule. And during the whole 2020, we all went through the COVID-19 pandemic and the Constitutional Court uh, gave several rulings that limited his power or asked that the assembly did things differently, the assembly that wasn't controlled for him. So it was working uh, in someone you could call independent kind of way, at least not directly controlled uh, by someone. Uh, and and, and the, the, this was supposed to be what happens in a democracy, checks and balances. And El Salvador had a perfect democracy, of course not. And, and it, it, it hasn't, hadn't been like that. And I know a lot of people say El Salvador has never had a democracy. But what I, 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 I would say is, yes, that may be true. Uh, I think there was a period where there was so many tensions between the democratic institutions, the, the, the three branches of the state, that I think that was positive for the country. Uh, but the solution to that, the solution cannot be or couldn't be to just uh, go away with every check uh, counterbalance that there is. Uh, the solution to that and, and to years and centuries even of constitutional tradition could not be uh, give every power in the state to a single person because you may call that as you whatever you want, you may not call it a democracy. That's not what it is. Um, but he won the, the election, his party won, and, and the presence of the Legislative Assembly, Bukele himself had said uh, or implicated in several occasions that they won because of him, that, that, that even people didn't know, and I just don't, don't think that some of them don't, still don't know a lot of the elected representatives. Uh, but they won because they, they, they were Bukele's uh, officials. Uh, and then that gave him uh, a lot of control. And, and it would allow him, uh, this is a majority that has never happened in the history of the country, not since at least 1984, when the ruling party also controlled the majority in the assembly. So it was uh, uncharted territory for the Salvadorans. And what they did was that the first day, that they entered the legislature, they did away with the constitutional court. They didn't wait. And they, I don't know, maybe for people in the United States, what, and I, I've said this before, but maybe people are not content or not, are not happy with the Supreme Court and would want to do away with them. And there are instilled processes for that. There are institutional procedures and things that you have to check, boxes and, and, and laws that you have to fulfill. So in El Salvador, they did away with the Supreme Court 
the Constitutional Court of the Supreme Court uh, in one night, and they replaced them in one night without following proper procedures that the Constitution uh, says they have to follow with that. And then they had the police, and the police took control of the building of the Supreme Court in the night, in the middle of the night, and then gave it to the new elected officials. And then the constitutional elected officials, the, 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 the justices, said in several occasions that they were pressured to, uh, to resign, so they resigned, and that's how they controlled the court. And that same thing happened with the attorney general. And, and there, there's a picture of the head of the policemen, uh, of the police corps, with the new attorney general. And um, this is not how independent institutions work. And I don't know if you could consider this a democracy. Again, you could rebate me. You could say that they had the right to do it. I don't think they did. But you cannot take these situations and see them and see, oh, this is a democratic uh, way of doing things, because it is not. And that allows him to control every, essentially every institution, uh, every major institution in, in the country. What happened after that? The Salvadoran Constitution since 1983, uh, it's the one that's current now, but in 200 years of constitutional tradition, El Salvador has never had re-election. The last person who re-elected in this country is Maximiliano Hernandez Martinez, who was a dictator responsible for the indigenous genocide of 1932. Nobody has re-elected since. And even though the Constitution prohibits re-election and even forbids that some uh, citizens uh, promote re-election, uh, punishing them by uh, taking away their civil rights and their political rights, the new appointed constitutional court, the Bukele appointed constitutional court, said that uh, the president can run for re-election. So you can do what, what, what you want, whatever, you can say what you want, but this is not legal. Uh, the, 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 the constitutional chamber cannot interpret that the constitution says what it doesn't say. And um, same thing that has happened with the attorney general's investigation. The attorney general's investigation has found uh, indications of corruption during the, the, the pandemic, during the contract of the pandemic. Uh, they even went on to say that two, two-thirds of the pandemic shopping was allegedly done with some sort of illegality. Uh, they were investigating the, the Bukele government uh, truce with the gangs, uh, and that's how we, uh, investigative journalists, uh, found out that there's a pack. We publish audios, we publish videos, we have, uh, not videos this time, but pictures. We publish the investigations. We've given all the evidence that the investigators have, uh, and, and that's the attorney general that they took off, that they removed. So, it's really hard to see the context and not see someone who is clearly manipulating the institutions on his behalf. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you have Bukele winning elections, um, doing away with the Supreme Court, basically uh, changing the rules for him to be reelected. Um, uh, there's there's other things. I mean, I know there's still enough time because, like you said, like there's you know there was cases of corruption. Uh, obviously, when you have uh, a judiciary that is subservient to the to the president, then nothing's going to get investigated. There's not even going to be a semblance of of, of justice there. Um, there was also uh, the case of uh, a particularly ridiculous ruling that uh, a decree uh, forcing judges to retire. Right, uh, judges that uh, were yeah, go ahead, go ahead. yeah, judges that were over sixty. Uh, were made to retire, and that uh, that ruling essentially took away a third of the justices of the judges in the whole country, and uh, that allowed for a grand restructuration or, uh, or, or reassembling of the whole judicial 
system in the country and also allow for several judges that weren't over 60 that were uh, allowed to remain in their positions were also moved around in the country, moved away from the capital, sent to, 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 uh, to courthouses in the interior. And traditionally, and I, I say this because I've been covering this for almost 10 years, uh, the, the judiciary area in the country, the, the, the positions in the capital are reserved for people, uh, are reserved for people that are, they're the most cherished positions and the positions that take or deal with the most important rulings in the country, the most important cases, the most politically charged cases or, or the cases that attract the attention of the public opinion. So uh, that allows them for, for them to, to, to take control not only of the Supreme Court, but in the interior. And we have seen several uh, judges who have been openly critical of the government's policies or, or who have made uh, rulings that have defied some orders of someone in the government that also have been removed from their positions and sent away to other lesser uh, positions in the, in the judicial branch. So, yeah, this is, uh, this is just in the path of strengthening the stronghold that the Bukele, the, the Bukele brothers who rule with him and, and, and the President Bukele has over, I would say, every institution in this country. It's interesting you mentioned the brothers because uh, it's not just Bukele himself, right? He's involved, in his family, his close family is, is closely involved in, in, in you know, in running the country, right? Yeah, I, I think as, as, uh, users of Twitter would know this because uh, they, they, they were uh, 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 clearly a, present, uh, a presence online uh, when uh, when the Bitcoin law was announced. And the reason a lot of people know El Salvador now is that this, this Bitcoin law, this, uh, this cryptocurrency that's used or uh, allowed to use as legal tender in this country. And it, it was in that moment that we could see clearly the Bukele brothers like posing in pictures with Jack Mallard from Strike uh, and appearing in, in Twitter spaces with people like Nick Todd and other crypto influencers. Uh, and we could see clearly one of the ways that they exert their power, even if they are not elected officials, they are not also appointed officials, and the ethics law prohibits the president to name his family uh, in the government. Though he has, no, that he has another brother who is not from his inner circle, but another brother who runs the Institute of Sports in Salvador. Yeah. Um, uh, before, I actually want to talk about the Bitcoin situation, because uh, I think it's important, like you said, because it's, it's, it's been the gateway for a lot of people to pay attention to what's going on in El Salvador, and uh, it's, it's a very important part of it. And, and and you can tell us a little bit about what was the the motivation behind this, because I don't know, I, honestly, I don't know if Bukele was a Bitcoin fan before that, if he was uh, somebody who believed in in, in you know uh, alternative uh, alternative to central banking. I, I, I have no idea, but it didn't strike me as that uh, when I was listening to Bukele early in his in, in, in his presidency, but. Um, uh, the other thing I, I wanted to, to, to point out here is like, uh, you know, the, the, the things we've talked about, the thing, the steps that Bukele has taken, um, and this is just because I know Bukele's image seems very right wing and he, he gets a lot of praise from right leaning um, politicians and people in Latin America. But um, I think it's important to, to stress on these things that he has done in such a short period of time that are so similar to the same steps that other authoritarians from both left and right have done, both in Latin America and other places, to eliminate checks and balances, 
tear down democratic institutions in order to remain in power. One of them is, you know, re-election. I think uh, everyone is from everyone in Venezuela, even Bolivia, Nicaragua. They know um, how you know you change the laws, change the rules of the game, so you can be re-elected indefinitely. Um, uh, so going back to, to the image of you know, Bitcoin and, and this image abroad, um, tell us a little bit about how that came about and, and what do you think the motivations behind this was? Um, uh, I, I know HRF has done a lot of work. Uh, you know, we, we do a lot of work with Bitcoin uh, in the sense that we, we can see it as a as a force for good uh, in, in banking people who live under authoritarian regimes because you can go around the restrictions from authoritarian governments. But... Um, what happened in El Salvador? I mean, like you have a, a government that is clearly authoritarian and they're embracing Bitcoin. So tell us a little bit about this and, and, and what has been the impact on, on how people see El Salvador today. I think it's important to say all of these things in the context of Bitcoin because the Bitcoin law didn't happen in a void, right? It, it, it didn't happen. This wasn't a blank page to start with and to do with this experiment. Uh, and it happened in a context of a non-democratic or, or, or of a declining democracy. And uh, it's important to, to know also the context. One day before the Bitcoin law was announced there, it was announced by uh, President Bukele and Mr. Jack Myers in a Miami crypto conference. Um, what the uh, government announced, or announced is that they were uh, doing away with uh, uh, a corporation uh, a collaborative agreement with the Organization of American States to deal with corruption. It was called in here the CS, and it was modeled after the Guatemalan CC, which uh, sparked uh, a spring of democratic movements in, 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 in Guatemala. So a day after he announced that, that, that was a part of his campaign, it was a part of his government plan, he announced the Bitcoin law, and he... Uh, and, and this was only a month after he had done the movement with the Supreme Court and the movement with the original. So, uh, essentially changing the whole international narrative in El Salvador to this uh, building of uh, a crypto utopia. So, th th this is important. And, and this is my, uh, one of my talking points with Bitcoiners, with which I, uh, who I come in, in touch in last year, is if Bitcoin is the separation of the money, state, uh, money and state, why are you raising an authoritarian government who uh, uses and promotes this the, 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 the coin? Uh, I feel it's at least paradoxical. Uh, and, and that's how it came to be. That's how it happened. Uh, Bitcoin was clearly not a part of the government's plan. Uh, I, I, I think there's some indication that Bukele had a prior interest in it. There's a, an old tweet, I think, from like 2015 or 2017, where he, he, he mentions Bitcoin. Uh, but this is it, it was not a part of the, the, the governance plan, and it came about after we, we uncovered some secret conversations, private conversations with uh, businessmen from broad, mainly American, uh, that were talking about the, the original plans implied a national cryptocurrency. Uh, we, we would need the time to talk about El Salvador's financial situation, which is delicate, to say the least, and, and, and which puts the country, uh, not because Salvadorans say it, not because journalists say it, but because market analysts say that it's one of the countries that's more likely to fall into a default uh, in, in, in the next 18 months. And, and, and there's a complicated calendar of bond paying and, and, and external debt paying. So Bitcoin falls into that category. And, and it, the, the objectives of Bukele, what he said that this law would do was to bring foreign investment, to bring jobs to El Salvador, 
economy in a trickle-down economics kind of way, um, and also uh, allowing the remittances. Remittances are such a, a, an important part of the Salvadoran economy because we have like three million people living in the United States, and they send back every year like uh, 20 or 25 percent of the, the GDP. So they, he said that it would allow uh, remittances to be sent with lower fees or with no fees at all. Um, and any way you want to measure it a year on, it, it, it was approved on June uh, and it, it came into effect in September. Any way you want to measure that or all of those parameters, uh, it, it just hasn't happened. Or it hasn't happened in a way that justifies, for me at least, the investment of close to 200, 300 uh, million dollars in that, in a country that has these conditions, the, the kind of healthcare system that we have, the kind of public transportation system that we have, the kind of you know, all these different kind of needs. So uh, this is something uh, of how Bitcoin came to be. Uh, and in the reality, the other part of the reality is that people have mostly, even though Bukele is highly popular in the country, like close to 87, 90% rates of approval, uh, which is true by any poll, it's also true that Bitcoin hasn't been embraced by the majority of the population. That 71% of Salvadorans say they don't have, they haven't seen a benefit, an economic benefit on their own economies because of the law that uh, only two out of ten people say that, that they support the Bitcoin approval and that the majority of the country doesn't use it as a currency. I I understand, I respect the, 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 the perspective of, of other people. I wouldn't dare to, to talk about the situation in Lebanon or the situation in, in elsewhere in the world, Belarus. Uh, we were at the Oslo Freedom Forum earlier next year learning about different realities about how this is used in Africa. I don't know enough about it to criticize it or to make an opinion, but from El Salvador's point of view, I can say it hasn't worked for what they told us it would do. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's very interesting, uh, like you said, how it's been used uh, to, um, uh, it, it, I mean, it, it's, it's very clear that it was it was a policy used to div, div, divert attention, uh, mostly. Um, and uh, I, I know a lot, of, a lot of people hope that this is, uh, you know, that Bitcoin can be a force for good. But like you said, there's a lot of problems when you have a government like the one here, the one that is directing how this is done. And, and with, you know, just political goals in mind uh, and without regard, like you said, for, for the financial health and state of the country. Um, yeah, so, so uh, I'm sure we're going to go back to Bitcoin. I'm sure there's probably a question here and there uh, from the audience, but uh I want to move on a little bit in time and 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 talk about what's been going on this year. Um, uh, we've you know we've hear a lot of news now about uh, the state of emergency uh, that the, the, the government in Salvador has uh, has enacted, uh, and it's been uh, I would say it's been a disaster. Uh, you have tens of thousands of arrests. Uh, you have violations of the process. Uh, tell us a little bit about why is it that um, this state of emergency came about and, uh, you know, the, the abuses that you've seen uh, in, in the past six six months or, or, or longer? Yeah, so you have to address the problem of violence. And El Salvador has had, uh, it occupied the position of world champion in homicide violence for several years. Um, and... The gangs, which are one of the main reasons this country is known for, uh, the, the U.S.-made gangs, MS-13 and 18th Street, 
that were sent back here and became a problem of national security. Uh, basically, since the ending of the Civil War in the early 90s and, and, and grew to be this, uh, the, the, the most pressing concern on, on, on a lot of Salvadorans' minds. And the, the, there has been several solutions tried. There has been uh, the, the, the policies of, of mano dura, as they call it in here, the, the, the strong hand policies on, on, on policing, try to solve it with the military, try to solve it uh, by making the, 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 the penalties in, 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 the, in, in the criminal law longer. And the, all of these sort of things kind of have failed. In, it's rare to see anything that hasn't been tried here. There was a truce. Uh, between the government and the gangs in 2012 that collapsed and then made the country so much more violent uh, as it had been. Um, and then this came about. And the Bukele, one of the successes for people of the Bukele administration has been his handling of the, of the gangs, uh, you know, of the security situation. What has happened is that yeah, they basically, basically since Bukele entered the government, you see a plummeting of the homicide rates, which is by all means positive, but it also raises questions, how are you doing it? Is it just police plans? And in the re reality of it, it's, that is not. There's also a government uh, agreement with the, 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 the gangs, and you may say it's fake, you may say uh, whatever you want, but you have all the signs there. You have pictures, you have audios. We, we, all, we published audios recently of a government official saying uh, to other gang members uh, that he had effectively taking out a prisoner of, a, of, of one of the jails and taking him to Guatemala. So um, it's, it's severely proven by, by, by journalistic investigations, by the Department of Treasury, by uh, different accounts, that there's a, 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 an agreement. And that agreement collapsed at the end of March. And in a uh, matter of three days in a weekend, we had 87 murders, which uh, if, if you, you, you kind of have to wonder if the security situation is under control. How can uh, gangs retain the power to do with 87 murders in three days? It's, it's outrageous. We did a, a report, a story about the victims, and we, we, we showed that a lot of them were uh, non-related non to gangs, where innocent Salvadorans were assassinated brutally by these gangs. So that's when the state, the, the regime of exception, the state of emergency came to be. Uh, and, and, and that's... Uh, basically what happened. And we have been in a state of emergency ever since. We have been uh, in the state of emergency since uh, the ending of March, and the Constitution uh, asked the legislative and the, and the elected officials that they have to renew it every 30 days. Uh, so they have to, to, to they, they keep prolonging and they keep uh, pushing it to new limits, which is, uh, some say, it's, uh, against the Constitution. Uh, but yeah, so are other things that are happening in El Salvador right now. Um, and then you have to think that because of the how the brutal have the gangs have been with the population, there's a lot of people who is happy with the policy, who who, who are, are, are really content with with what's going on, who are really content with uh, the, the, the 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 dealings. But then you have if you have 45,000 people in in, in prisons, uh, you there, there's something wrong with uh, how can we be a paradise of freedom? Uh, and an example of the war when 2% of the adult population of this country is in jail. It's nonsensical. And, uh, and, there, and, and we have seen that since every con institution is controlled by the state, the human rights situation, you, there's basically, basically nowhere you can go. Uh, there, there, there's basically uh, no other place that you can attend. Your, the, the, your, 
the, the people uh, who are denouncing arbitrary arrest uh, cannot, uh, don't have anything uh, or anyone who listens to them. I mean, even the, the demands brought before the Supreme Court, uh, the uh, amount of demands that the Supreme Court took in a year for arbitrary arrest has surpassed uh, and it has doubled in the first seven months of this year, the, the daily average. So um, it, it's a very desperate situation, even if a lot of people like it, it's a very desperate situation if you're dealing with something what you think is an arbitrary arrest yourself. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, and, and from, you know, I heard talk about how people are, a lot of people are on board with, with, with this measure from the government. Um, uh, and, and obviously it's because people are truly and, and is understandably afraid of, of violence and, and, and they want to see solutions. Um, but like you said, uh, you can't, I mean, it's impossible that in tens of thousands of arrests, you know, they're all, I, I, I saw news recently where Bukele refers to them as terrorists, <laughs> all of them, every single one of them that was arrested. I, I highly doubt that tens of thousands of people are, you know, violating gangsters, causing chaos among the population. And, and obviously that means that there's a lot, the, the government has taken a lot of liberties here. And, and when you have, a country where the independence of the judiciary is is non-existent anymore then and like you said like the people have no recourse um so you are in a, in, in a terrible situation uh trying to control <laughs> another terrible situation so um so he, here's my question my final question then we can go open it to to to, to, to questions from from the audience uh, is um so what to do now um what's the What's the outlook in El Salvador? I mean, what's the political opposition doing? Because when 2024 comes, um, Bukele might still be as popular. Uh, he could be reelected, and who knows? Uh, uh, it could be the last free election, perhaps, uh, in El Salvador in a long time, uh, as we've seen in other countries in Latin America that have gone through similar transformations. Um, how do you think uh, the opposition has handled it what can it be done? Because like you said, people, you know, the Bukela seems to be addressing, obviously, in a terrible way, issues that are important to people. So how do you think they can handle it internally? Um, and how do you think the international community has reacted? What do you think international community needs to, needs to do? Um, t -t -t tell us a little bit about that. I think the situation... Um... It's complicated. I, I don't pretend to have a crystal ball, but the opposition uh, lacks legitimacy in El Salvador, and that's important because I don't think the right-wing party, Arena, or the FMLN party, uh, can have enough legitimacy to, 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 to be an option for people in the next election. People have not forgotten, and the Bukele administration has made sure that they don't forget uh, how corrupt they how essentially like, this party has managed this country and, and allowed it to come into a situation like this. Um, and then the rest of the opposition is scattered. I don't think you can really blame it on them because the situation is what it is, and it's really hard. And there's been certainly uh, pers uh, political persecution in the, in this country. Uh, but this is a really complicated situation. I would say that the election will be in October. Uh, since the moment that the President Bukele is on the ballot, the, the election is legitimate because he doesn't have the right to be in the ballot. This is illegal. And that's the first question I would bring up when, when 
time of election comes. And then the other thing, the other situation is that come 2024, it seems short time, but it's a long time in terms of financial situation. I think the financial situation of the country is the only, his Achilles heel, the only vulnerability that he has. And uh, so you, I make the question why Bitcoin failed to, 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 to be massively adopted here, because people understood rapidly how volatile it was, and people understood rapidly that they could lose value of their money uh, in, in, in a short time. So why people didn't uh, want to embrace this? Uh, it, 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 it comes down to the economics. And I think this is an yeah, important thing to consider. Uh, the economical situation can turn a political situation uh, very rapidly, can shift it. And this is something that you have to be aware of. And in terms of what the community, international community has to do, I agree. This is a problem that Salvadorans have to address and we need to address our own problems. Uh, but uh, the international community helps by paying attention to the respect of human rights, to the respect of international agreements that the Salvadoran government has agreed to have. Thank you, Nelson. Go go, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, as a recipient of cautionary measures from the Inter-American Human Rights Board uh, of Commission, uh, with regard to my job and our lives, and me and other very colleagues at El Paro, these measures have not meant anything for us, that have not meant anything in the practice for us. Uh, and I think when the international community presses and, and do their job and, and, and ask questions to the Bukele regime, not just buying the propaganda, not just eating it up, but asking questions and trying to come here and learn from, from the situation and going to the streets and actually seeing what things are, not just seeing videos on Twitter or, 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 or trying to learn from social media and, and, and going away. If this country is so sure, I mean, why why do people keep, uh, I don't know, uh, turning themselves in at six pairs, like so I, I saw people do last night in, in, in a popa, uh, or, or, or why do people keep paying for extortion? This is uh, the kind of questions that we need to be asking, and I think uh, when the international community keeps us in mind, uh, in order for us not to become another dictatorship, another full-blown dictatorship, I think they are doing uh, a service to a Salvadoran population. Thank you, that's, that's very important. Um, I, I sort of forgot one last thing I wanted to ask, and I think we have a few more minutes. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about um, how Bukele has responded to criticism uh, from from the press, uh, from, from you know, not necessarily uh, from well, I wouldn't call it criticism, but like investigations from the judiciary, but independent judges. But uh, how's he reacted to to the work that you do, for example? Because I know there's there's still a vibrant free press in El Salvador. Uh, and and he's run into uh, a lot of uh, criticism from from you know from the newspaper that you work at, uh, but also from others like the Prince Grafica and others. Uh, what has been the reaction? I know uh, it was uh, Amnesty uh, in a report uh, they you know they published. Uh, it was established that the Bukele government used Pegasus, the the NSO uh, surveillance tool. On journalists from your newspaper, is that is that correct? Yes, I had the, the Pegasus uh, analysis by by um, independent organizations, Amnesty certified. And Pegasus was in my phone sixty days, and I I'm not even in the top five of the people in in El Faro in terms of how much time they were intervened. And I also think this is something that should be a concern for people invested or interested in technology. Uh, and, and and you know, Bitcoin is a freedom use. I, it, it is concerning 
that there there's this use of this surveillance software in, in a country such as this. The situation of the press is critical. I mean, we have journalists who have left the country because of fear of the political retaliation uh, for their jobs. Uh, the situation is especially hard on, on, on women who, on top of the you know the harassing, the bullying, the trolling. Uh, that we stand on social media. This is going out of social media now. It's becoming uh, like judiciary demands against uh, uh, against journalists. It's becoming uh, physical physical harassment, physical attacks. It's becoming um, different kinds of stuff, of stuff, which in the case of, of women have involved a, a misogynistic uh, charge to it, uh, a gender bias, and. Yes, it, it, it's a very complicated situation, and I give props. We actually celebrate the Salvador, the Journalist Day in, on Sunday for, for here in El Salvador. And I give props to every uh, colleague who is uh, doing their job. And, and I, I don't think we want to be heroes. We certainly do not want to be martyrs. Uh, but we need to be doing our jobs, and the only way to defend the freedom of the press is by publishing. Uh, that, that, that's the only way. I, I, I believe that people... Uh, the, the press should serve the, the ruled, not, not the ruling party or, or the ruling class. And we're doing an effort in, into doing that, into telling stories that might not be easy to, to tell, not, not, not be comfortable for the society to hear, but that we need that society keeps hearing the other side, uh, to not become, you know, this self-centered, selfish culture, and to hear about what other people, maybe... I don't know, maybe the, the, the exception regime is more comfortable if you're not affected by it, if, 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 if all you're seeing it is in the news, but not if you live in a community and, and, and you have seen that, yeah, there's certainly gang members who have been arrested and criminals, but also innocent people that have taken away and then and they have to lose at least, at least six months of their lives because of an unfair accusation. That shouldn't happen in a democracy and, and that shouldn't happen in the country. Uh, that's very important. Um... Let me just say a final few words before I open up to questions. Um, first of all, um, yeah, again, I, this is because I've, I've, I'm trying to read some of the comments that we're having here uh, on, the, on, our, uh, on our Twitter Spaces uh, event. Um, and, and I think uh, Nelson and everybody else uh, understands that there are some very serious issues um, that El Salvador needs to deal with. And, uh, and I think the point that, that we're trying to make here is that you don't need to resort to authoritarian rules. Uh, you don't need to assault the judiciary, especially the judiciary, uh, in order to deal with them. Um, but, and, and, it is, and it is a problem, I mean, and, you know, because Bukele has offered, offered solutions to this, although they're not the right ones and it's not the right methods. Um, but, uh, I mean, it's, it's important to acknowledge that the, these problems will need to be dealt with. And I think the reason why we have um, populists who want to assault institutions, not just in El Salvador, but everywhere. It's it's partly because of a failure to address these problems. So um, and I think it needs to be a wake-up call for, for civil society, pol political organizations everywhere. Um, but uh, yeah, so I wanted to open up to questions, but obviously uh, as long as you, you're respectful and, 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 and you have a, a real question, uh, I'll, I'll be glad to, you know, uh, uh, give you some space here. Uh, so let me see. All right. Um, I'm really sorry, but I think Nelson is having some internet problems. Like he can't uh, listen to anything right now. But um, I want to thank everybody uh, for joining us today um, and listening to this, uh, you know, the situation in El Salvador. And I, I encourage everyone, every one of you, to follow Nelson on on, on social media. 
um, Follow El Faro, another El Salvadorian uh, uh, outlets, newspapers, um, to follow what's going on. And uh, uh, yeah, thank you very much. Also, don't forget to follow HRF and uh, uh, visit our website, hrf.org, to, to learn more about the work that we do. Thank you so much.